Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'm going to talk about something which is a very integral part of our lives which is prayer, yeah? And before we actually sort of get into the, the meat of the message, I'd like to read the Bible verse that I'm going to talk about. It's in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, starting from verse 14 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, phones, whatever you have, just open it, yeah. So it says, So I bow in prayer before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth gets its true name. I ask the Father in his great glory to give you the power to be strong inwardly through his Spirit. I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your lives will be strong in love and be built on love. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ Love, how wide and how long and how high and how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone else can ever know. But I pray that you will be able to know that love. Then you can be filled with the fullness of God. With God's power working in us, God can do much more things than anything. We can ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time. Forever and ever. Amen. So, as I said, we're gonna, this is a prayer that Paul is talking to the church of Ephesians, all right? So prayer is a very, as I said, is a very integral part of our lives, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have done a prayers. So the stories are told about a group of businessmen who were flying in an aircraft, And when there was a sudden decompression, the oxygen mask fell from the ceiling and the plane began to scream towards the ground. And one of the men lifted the mask from his face for the moment and shouted across the aisle, says, Jerry, you used to go to Sunday school when you were young. Say a prayer to save us, please. And Jerry said, don't be ridiculous. The last time I prayed was 20 years ago. But the businessman companions insisted, you need to pray, you need to pray, all right? And Jerry said, okay, I'm going to pray now. He said, oh Lord, I have not bothered you for the last 20 years. If you get me, if you get us out of this fix, I promise I will not bother you for the next 20 years. <laughs> you know, at times, you know, it's important, uh, I mean, beat any sort of uh, uh, thought process, religion, prayer is a very integral part, right? So there was a program on the British television, I mean, uh, and the local television, about, a, about a, it was about the, the state of the religious uh, experience among children. And it was told about a young boy who was, whose father, whose parents met with an accident, and he told the police that, that I don't know how to pray for my parents to get out of the situation. Alfred Lord Tennyson says that more things are wrought by prayer than the world dreams of. Prayer sustains society more than any other factor. I remember a pastor once said, we shall have seen more prayers in airport terminals and oxygen, I mean, hospital beds 
I mean, that's, that's actually true. It's absolutely true. And here, as I said in the, in the verse, Paul is praying to the church of Ephesians. But I just want to give you a sort of backdrop to what the church of Ephesians is all about. So Paul is, is, an, is an apostle who was going to different places around, around the world preaching the good news about Christ. And uh, for sometimes, uh, for some of his uh, term during, uh, been, during being an apostle or a pastor, he was in jail and he used to write these letters to different churches like the church of Ephesians or Corinthians or Galatians or whatever it may be. So this church, Ephesians, is, is a church, he had written a letter while he was in the prison. And uh, so he writes this prayer about trying to encourage the church of Ephesians. So Ephesians, the church of Ephesians was a much more a spiritual church, or rather Paul did not have anything to correct them. So he was, he was very happy with the spiritual state of that, of that church. So, so he said he was very happy with the, with the spiritual state of that church. And he says, and so he says that, for example, for the other churches like Galatians, he was much more used to harsher words and Corinthians, he was trying to encourage them. So, he's, so he was just trying to share much more deeper spiritual thoughts with the church of Ephesians because they understood that. But on the other hand, when, with the other churches, like they did not understand the basic concepts. So that's why he was writing some basic concepts to those letters, in those letters. So we can only receive according to the measure of our spiritual growth, Right? We can only receive according to the measure of our spiritual growth. Like a baby cannot eat meat because they cannot chew it, right? But the efficient church was much more mature church. So that's why Paul was able to share much more deeper truths to them. So the first thing he talks about in the verse 14 is this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. The basis of Paul's prayer was that he was in knowledge of God's will and purpose for his life. And, then, and, and I think it's very, very important for all of us to understand what is prayer all about. Initially, when I was growing up as a Christian, I thought prayer was all about asking God. Prayer was all about just arm-twisting God's hand to ask what you want. Prayer was all about asking your will rather than waiting for God's will. But I think over the time, I've realized that prayer was actually trying to seek to align to God's will. That is prayer. And that's what I've realized. It's very, very important for us to understand that. So he says, Paul, is, Paul knows that, that his knowledge of God's purpose, and he, he knew what God's will was. And that's why he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. I'd like to take a moment and talk about why is Paul talking about kneeling in prayer? Because kneeling in prayer is a very, very Eastern part of the world, a religious act. Like, I come from India. It's a very, very common thing for all of us to kneel down in prayer. I mean, in our churches, back home in India, we, we didn't have chairs. So we used to, all of them have to squat down, and when it was a prayer, we used to kneel down. So it, it, it was that kind of situation. So kneeling is a very, very act of humility. Kneeling is an act where you're saying, saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm humbled by your grace, and that's why I'm kneeling and I'm praying to you. The humility, Paul knows that the humility that he had, because he knew God's great plan was, he was in the prison, but he knew that there was something great going on, even though while he was prison, because he was writing those letters. 
He knew that there was a, a grand plan of God that was working while he was writing those letters. There's a lots of instances in, in the Bible where they be, people prayed on their knees, like Solomon prayed on his knees, Ezra prayed on his knees, and uh, Jesus himself prayed on his knees, Peter prayed on his knees. So there are a lot of instances where Bible does talk about people praying on knees. As I talked about, it's a very, very common phenomenon, especially in the eastern part of the world where I come from, and the whole Middle East and the eastern part where people can kneel and pray. I mean, in fact, uh, I mean, it, as I said, prayer, kneeling in prayer is an act of reverence, humility, right? Loyalty to God. Like, when you meet the queen, right, they call it curtsy. You, you bend down, you, knee, you bend your knee and you meet the queen. When, you're, when you're given a knighthood, you bend down and you've been conferred a title. So you accept that in humility. You accept that in humility. I mean, all our family prayers back home while I was in India, we, we used to just kneel down and do it. I mean, although, I mean, having moved to here, I've lost the habit of kneeling down and praying, which I really, you know, I, I miss that. I remember a friend of mine who came to Christ from a different faith, and I remember the prayer was, the prayer meeting went for about an hour, about half an hour to 45 minutes or one hour. And I've seen him just kneeling down and for the whole one hour. I was really surprised, and I asked him, why do you do that? He said, that's the only way I know how to pray. I don't know any other way of praying because I come from a different faith. It was a very strict norm in our, in our faith that we have to kneel down while I pray. And I really, I felt really encouraged by that. I mean, on the other hand, Bible, does stop, Bible doesn't really give you any sort of uh, a rule that you need to just kneel down and pray. There are, there are other prayers where people didn't have to kneel and pray. What I really want to talk about is God is really not interested in the position of your knees, but God is interested in the position of your heart when you pray. That's very, very important for all of us. It's okay if you can kneel and pray, it's okay, but if you don't want to kneel, if you have, a, if you have problems with your knees or whatever, maybe it's okay to just pray while you're there. It's absolutely fine. As I said, God is interested, but Paul felt the humility. He felt that, that he was saved by grace, He's saved by grace, not by his works. That's why he said, God, I kneel down in reverence to you while I pray. And he's saying this prayer to the church of Ephesians that I bow down when I pray for you guys. It's okay. As I said, God is interested in the position of your heart than the position of your knees. And Paul is directing his prayer. It's just not the posture of prayer, but his direction of prayer. Paul is directing his prayer to the Father in heaven. The Father, God. Paul directed his prayer to the Father who's presented as the planner among the members of Trinity. Trinity is nothing but the God, the Son, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God the Father is the planner in the Trinity. Paul is directing his prayers to that. Even Jesus, when his disciples asked him, how do we pray? And Jesus recited the Lord's prayer. He says, our Father who art in heaven, he directed his prayer to the Father in heaven. Paul is directing his prayer to the Ephesians and says, I'm directing my prayer to the Father in heaven. And he goes on to say, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through the spirit in your inner being. Verse 16, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you according to his riches in glory. 
I mean, it would be a disgrace, right, for a king or a nobleman to give less than a tradesman or a peasant, isn't it? God acts upon the dignity of his infinite perfections. He gives according to the riches of glory. Back home, you know, it is, it is but normal for any person who's on the higher rank of the society has to give more to the Lord. It is a very common phenomenon. If you are at a very higher position in the society from a societal point of view, it is but very important or it is assumed that they are the people who give more to the Lord because they have more. But God, there is no partiality. He gives according to the riches of his glory. And Paul talks something about the inner being here, which is very, very important there. He says that, that I pray that your inner man, your inner being, being strengthened. That's a very, very important thing. I mean, I, I found it, I mean, when I, when, I came to, when I came to Christ, I found it very, very confusing as to what is this old man, what is this new man, what is this inner man. I mean, it was very, very confusing terms for me when I came to Christ. But it says in the book of Romans chapter 6 and 6, it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So this is what, I read a beautiful analogy about what is an old man, what is a new man, and I felt it really, really assuring for myself at what exactly it means being an inner man, the new man. So hear me out very carefully. It says, so when you are an unconverted man, when you don't know Christ, there's someone called as an old man in your heart who's an unfaithful servant. Right? There's an old man in your heart who's an unfaithful servant. So when, there are, when, the, when the desires of flesh or lust comes to you or you want to sin, this, this old man is an unfaithful servant. He opens the door of your hearts and lets those lusts go into your hearts and you end up doing a sin. But when you accept Jesus Christ, it says, and as I, as I just read in Romans 6, 6, the old man is crucified. The old man is nothing but the willingness to do a sin. The old man is crucified. When the old man is crucified, when you accept Jesus Christ, then comes a new man, the inner man that Paul is talking about. But the inner man is not strong enough to hold on to those temptations of the flesh. So we have to feed that new man. How do we feed that new man? Paul says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why a lot of people uh, come to me. I mean, I, I, they say, you know, Vishal, I, I, did, I did accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior, but I still fall into sin. I still fall into sin. I said because the new man who's taken place over the old man is not strong enough. He is not strong enough to hold on to the temptations. You need to keep feeding the new man. How do you feed the new man? Through the word, through the fellowship, through prayers. That's how you feed the new man. And I felt it really assuring for myself. I said, Lord, thank you for giving me that, replacing that old man with the new man, which is the inner man. But I need to make sure that I need to keep feeding that inner man, the new man, so that it could resist the temptations that I'm going through. Paul says to the church of Ephesians, I pray that your inner man, your inner, the, old, the, the new man, will be strengthened through the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful way he's talking about. Then he says, once it is strengthened, he says, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's a very, very important thing. Paul asked that Jesus would live in these believers even as Jesus promised. 
John 14, 23, it says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says, we will make our home with him. He's saying that Jesus wants to dwell in your hearts. It's a very, very important thing that God cannot live in unclean places. That's a very, that's, that's being three. If you, if you read the Bible, God can live, never, never live in unclean places. So Paul is saying the ancient word for idea to dwell, dwell comes from the word Greek word. It means a permanent home. Jesus wants to make a permanent home in your hearts. I mean, when we go to our houses of different places, a lot of people say, please make, make yourself home. I mean, sometimes you're comfortable, sometimes you're not comfortable. I mean, Jesus may be dwelling in your hearts, but the question is, does he feel home there? Or perhaps there's something in your hearts which is not right. Maybe God doesn't want to dwell. Does he, does you, do you want Jesus to make your permanent home, or just want to be a visitor? That's something Paul is saying to this church of Ephesians. Make sure that God, Jesus, dwells in your heart. Dwell is a permanent place. Does he want to live there permanently or does he want you just to be a, a visitor coming on a Sunday, going on a Monday back or a, on, 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 a, on, on a, a group prayer meetings, come back again? Paul is saying, why don't you ask Jesus to dwell into your hearts through faith? Through faith, that's very, very important. You need to ask through faith, God, I want you to dwell in my hearts. I mean, I pray every day when I, when I, when I go to my prayers, I ask God, God, if there's anything unclean in my heart, would you please take it out? Because I want to make my, my heart a place where you can dwell. Anything, unclean thoughts, unclean tongue, unclean perception, whatever it may be. It's very, very important. And the Bible talks about our body being the temple of the living God. Preserve your body so that it is a temple of the living God. God wants to dwell into your home. I mean, back it's a very symbolic thing that back home especially. I mean, I keep talking about back home because I know this is home for me now, but I grew up in India for 25 years. So I still call it back home, which I need to change it, by the way. So back in India, right? I would rather say that now, okay? Back in India, it's a very symbolic thing for people to clean their houses every day in the morning. Every day in the morning, you see people coming out, cleaning their courtyards, cleaning their front yards, completely clean it, uh, uh, completely clean with uh, all, all the, whatever the dirt is, and basically they just uh, do some, um, uh, what do you call, uh, we call it rangoli, I don't know what's the English term for that, it's called a rangoli, they just put some, uh, with, with a chalk powder, and then make the house completely clean, every room has to be clean, and the first thing that, uh, uh, especially woman does, especially, is basically she has a bath, and then basically she cleans herself in the first place, and then she cleans the entire house, just for the simple fact that every day they have to do that day in and day out, 365 days, because they say that if my house is clean, when I put those, those rangolis in front of my house, God will dwell and come into my home. If my house is unclean, my God will not enter to my home. And that God is nothing but the God of prosperity. Everybody wants prosperity, right? So what I'm trying to say is that he's saying that you need to make your house clean. Symbolically, yes, but Paul is saying to the church here, you need to make your hearts clean so that God can dwell into your homes. That's very, very important. We need spiritual strength to let Christ dwell within us because there is something 
that resist the influence of indwelling Jesus Christ. That something can be conquered. God says the Spirit of God will give us victory of faith. Indwelling of Christ. And then he goes on to verse 17. It says, the Christ may dwell into your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established to love. Paul is saying that you need to be established in love with each other. That's very, very important, right? Fellowship is very, fellowship is important because you are established or you're grounded, you're rooted in love with each other. That's very, very important. That's a quintessential thing of Christian is to love. Being rooted and grounded. Paul is saying, uses these two words, rooted and grounded. I mean, roots is, I mean, everybody knows it, right? The expression is, is like living like a tree which, 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 you know, which, which holds the soil and twists itself around the rocks. I mean, we've seen those winds so during the recent times where these huge winds have uprooted all these trees. But there were some small trees, even they, they withstanded that. Paul is saying you need to be like those trees that those withstand those winds so that you're not uprooted. You're not completely uprooted by it. I mean, there, I mean, Paul is saying to the church of Ephesians, be grounded so your, root, your roots grow, grow deeper so that any storm may come into your life, you will not be uprooted. That's what Paul is trying to say to this church. Is be rooted, be rooted so deeply that you will not be dismayed by inflictions, pain, sin, whatever it may be. I know there are a lot of storms come into our life, isn't it? We are just praying in the morning, a lot of storms, be it a health issue, be it, be it whatever issue it may be. Things don't go the way that we plan. But Paul is saying to the church of Ephesians, even though these storms come, ask God so that you may be deep-rooted. Let your roots grow deeper. And I was, I was trying to read, I mean, how do roots grow deeper? I mean, there, there are two things that, that, that I really caught my attention was, if you want your trees, uh, whatever you grow in your gardens, if you want them to grow deeper, they said you need to do two things. Is basically... Continuously, I mean, time and time again, you need to prune those trees, right? You need to prune those trees and you need to remove those limbs, which is not giving you flowers or leaves. And I found it really interesting is because in your Christian faith as well, when you're rooted in Christ, at times we have to prune some things. At times we have to remove some limbs, some bad relationships maybe, some bad habits maybe. Maybe those are the things that is stopping you from being rooted, and I felt it really interesting on, on that sense. That's why Paul is trying to say is that try and be deep-rooted. And the way that you can be deep-rooted is trying to prune, prune, train, take away those limbs that is stopping you from getting deep into Christ. I think that's very, very important. At least what, that's what I felt. And one of the explanations what has given is basically water those trees for long periods of time. Long periods of time. I think it's very, very important as a Christian that you need to be consistently, you need to be very, very, very consistent when, you, when it comes to prayer for long periods of time. Sometimes we believe that we are producing those fruits, but when these winds and storms come in, we'll get uprooted. Paul is saying you need to be deep-rooted in Christ. Water those, water those plants, water those trees for long periods of time. Consistency. That's what he says. And it says, be grounded it's very, very important to be grounded in, in, in Christ, to be humble in Christ. As I said, there'll be trials, there'll be afflictions, there'll be pain, there'll be strong. But Paul is saying, I pray that as a church of Ephesians, because you're a much more a stronger church, I know you're a, as the, the stronger you are, the stronger the afflictions will be. 
Well, that's how God deals with. The stronger you are, the stronger the afflictions will be. The stronger the strongholds will be. I know that's a bad news, but that's how it is. That's how it is. And verse 18, it says, May you have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses every understanding, knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Paul is saying that God's love is so high, so deep, so long, so wide. I mean, a lot of people, I, I, I've come across a lot of people who said that I cannot comprehend God's love. It is, it is, it is a, fictitious, it is a uh, fiction, what is a fictitious thing, what do you call it? Fictitious, sorry, I, I can't spell that word. I can't say that word, sorry. Uh, fictitious word, that's the right word, okay. Okay, so it says it's, it's fiction, it's not truth. You, you, you cannot, uh, there is no dimension to it. I mean, it's, it's a very, God loves me, but I don't know how much. Like, it, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's, it's a fiction. It's, it's a fiction of my imagination, that's what they call it. But Paul is saying that there is, there is a dimension to it. Like, you cannot comprehend how wide it is. The love of Jesus has wit, Paul says. The love of Jesus has, is so wide that it covers my sin. John 3.16, it says, right? It covers every sin, my circumstance. Then Paul says, the love of Jesus has length. When we consider God's length, you ask yourself, when did the love of God start towards me? When did God start loving me? And how long will it continue? Jeremiah 31.3, it says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God has started love, loving you since you were a baby, since you were born, since you were conceived in your mother's womb. That's what the psalmist says. And it will continue to the everlasting. The love of Jesus has length. The love of Jesus has depth. Philippians 2, 7, 8 says, How deep the Jesus loves goes. He made himself with no reputation, taking the form of bond servant. And finally it says, The love of Jesus has height. To, these, to see the height of God, of God's love, ask yourself, how high does it lift me? How high does God lift me? He lifts me to the heavenly places where I'm seated with Christ. Ephesians 2.6, it says, he raised me up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to say that God's love is wide enough, long enough, deep enough. I mean, can we really comprehend God's love? I mean, to be honest, it's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, there's a beautiful verse in the Bible in John 17, 23, and it gives me a lot of assurance personally, a lot of assurance. It says, John 17, 23 says, God loves me as he loves Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Jesus was a perfect man, but God loves me the same way as he loved Jesus. And I think that's a very, very great take away from me. Whenever I go through... I mean, I feel bogged down. I said, does God really love me? But I, this, this verse really encourages me. I think it, it revolutionizes like a lot of things. It's like God does love me in the same manner as he loves Jesus Christ. He put me in the same pedestal as Jesus Christ. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through eternity. And God's love is deep enough to reach the worst of the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. That's what Paul is trying to say to this church, that why don't you grasp the God's love? 
it's not a fictitious thing. It's not, it's not an uh, imagination, but it, there's, there's a dimension, dimension to it. It is real. You can comprehend that. You can understand that. And finally, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurable more than we ask for. He says, he will do more than we ask for according to the power that is at work within us. The power of God in our lives go hand in hand with the faith that you have. Faith and power of God go hand in hand. The more the faith you have, God's power is working more in your life. And that's, that's a very easily relationship. It's a direct relationship. He's a limitless God. At times we try and limit God. Because God, can you do that? I think those are the questions a lot of people ask. And at times I've asked this, God, can you do this? But God is able to do much more exceedingly beyond your imagination. I can quote you so many personal testimonies in my own life that God has done beyond my understanding, honestly. I, I think it's, it's, it, it is beyond my understanding what I, what I can think about. I think the, the, the easiest thing that I can think about is coming to the UK maybe about 10 or 15 years ago was never in my, in my wildest dreams. Never. Never at all. I thought maybe I'll, I'll end up doing some, some mediocre job somewhere in, 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 in India doing something and I'll be an insignificant you know, person, whatever it may be. But God, I mean, I, I, whenever I pray to God, I said, God has said, I asked for small things, but God said, just wait for some time. I'll give you much more things than you can imagine for. You can even ask for. He's a limitless God. You can ask God for every good thing you have ever experienced. God can do much more than that. You can think and imagine things beyond experience God can do above that. That's why Paul is finishing with all these prayers. Finishing, I'm just finished now. Paul is saying to the church of Ephesians, why don't you just think about that? God is able to do much more beyond what you can think about. Ephesians do not get, I mean, these are the letters that, imagine Paul is writing these letters from a prison, trying to encourage these people. He says, don't worry, guys, I know, don't worry about God's love. I know you are a much more stronger church, you're a spiritual church, but try and be much more stronger. I know these inflictions will come, trials will come, but try and be much more stronger. I like to call the, the worship team forward, and then we like to just, I mean, I like to end with a few things before we move forward to the next segment is, Maybe we have prayed in our lives. Maybe we have never prayed in our lives. Right? That's, that's absolutely fine. I remember this uh, prayer. I mean, a pastor once said it beautifully. It says, prayer, Vishal, it starts as a dialogue. Over the time, it becomes a... Sorry, over the prayer starts as a monologue. And over the time, it becomes a dialogue. I think that's a very, very important thing. You pray... When you, see, when you pray, just God, give me that, give me this, uh, pray for my good health. And, but a lot many times, that's how it starts. But over the time, when you keep praying, it becomes a dialogue because God talks to you. It becomes a dialogue. So if you think that you never prayed in your life or you don't feel, you don't know how to pray about it. I'll I, I end, end this with this one, one beautiful story. I, was, I, I, I read it a few years ago. This is about a man who didn't know how to pray. His name was Jim. So somebody told him that he didn't, he didn't know how to pray. So every day he used to go to his work and he used to see a cathedral. He used to walk into the cathedral and say, uh, God, this is Jim. And every day he would, that's what he would do every day. God, this is Jim. 
on a Monday, on a Tuesday, every day he used to go to the cathedral, say, God, this is Jim. And, in, and, and one day he, he, he fell sick and he, he was in the hospital and he said, I heard a voice then. He says, Jim, this is God. Jim, this is God. As I said, prayer starts as a monologue. It ends up in a dialogue. So that's what I would like to try to say today is that Paul is encouraging the church of Ephesians and I would like to encourage everyone who's here to, to pray about it. I know it's, it's a very, uh, you don't see the results immediately, but I'm sure, you know, God's, as I said, Paul says, it will, he will do much more greater things that you can imagine for. I think you can start, you can start taking baby steps, it's fine. Paul is, Paul's wrote to uh, churches which are much more in a dormant stages. Paul wrote to churches which were much more spiritual state. So I pray that God will enable all of us and we'll take up this, this task of praying, even if the small prayers, day in and day out, and ask God, I'm sure God will do great things in our lives. Amen.